Amen, Logan. Thank you so much for praying. All right, welcome to College Gathering, y'all. Ooh, low energy, low energy, guys. Welcome to College Gathering. My name's Cody, and I'm super glad that you guys are here. So what we're going to do is we're going to say hello to each other, okay? We're going to take just a second, introduce yourself to somebody who's sitting around that maybe you've never met, maybe you have met, and maybe it was weird the first time you met. Say, say hello again. Try again. But let's take just a few minutes. We're going to greet each other, and then we'll jump in. Cool? Cool. Let's do it. Okay, let's bring it on back. Bring it on back. Glad that you guys are here. You guys like doing that? Yeah. Yeah. 
You love it? Okay, well, I'm glad, because we're going to keep doing it. So, anyways, welcome back, y'all. Like I said a second ago, my name's Cody. Super glad that y'all are with us, joining us for college gathering. Glad that y'all are here. Tonight, we are continuing, let's go. Tonight, we are continuing our sermon series, What is God Like? Last week, we talked about God's nature and God's propensity to forgive, because God is a kind loving and forgiving God, and that forgiveness and a new life in Jesus is for all, for all who would believe. And tonight, we are all getting promoted, if you wanna call it that, whether you like it or not, we are going on a journey into the big leagues of Christian thought. And our pursuit of knowing who God is and what he is like, it is important that we cover the not-so-simple topic of God's sovereignty. Or said differently, tonight we're gonna be talking about the reality that God is in control. God could be in control of a lot of things in our life, but tonight we're talking particularly about God's sovereignty in light of our suffering. Okay, so what is God like? God is in control. God is sovereign, but what does that mean? Again, we're gonna be wading into some deep waters tonight, and it's important to acknowledge at the front end of our time that we are punching above our weight class. We are getting into things that are above our pay grade, but do not check out. Do not check out. God, in his grace, has made himself knowable, and because God has made himself knowable, we seek to know him. That's what the entire series is about. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 say this. says, for my thoughts, this is the Lord, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, he's addressing us, his, his creations. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. What this passage is saying is that God operates on a completely different level than we do. God's ways, God's thoughts, his actions, his lack of actions, his reasons for doing things are clear to himself, but often a mystery to us. In our conversation tonight, we are seeking to answer complex and difficult questions. But again, because God has made himself knowable, at least to a certain extent, we strive to know him. We strive to know him. We cannot cover every aspect of God's sovereignty tonight. We're not even going to try. But we will wade willingly and open-handedly into these deep and hard questions because God has made himself knowable. And we pursue him, even if the answers that we find we don't like. Again, I ask, what is God like? God is in control, but what does that mean? Most people, if you were to say that you believe in God, whether that's the God of the Bible, the God of the Quran, or the general, you know, neo-spirituality, like God of the universe kind of deal, no matter which camp you might land in, you would, to some extent, believe that God is in control, One could make the case that to be God is at some level to be in control of all that can, should, will, and has happened in history. And I would make the case that a God who is unable to enact their will to truly be in control isn't much of a God at all. Because all of us, at some level, we desire to enact our will. We want things to go a certain way. For example, I desire more than a lot of things to live a long life, to walk my daughter Lydia down the aisle, to see my son grow into a man and to grow old with my wife Cassidy. It is my desired will that these things happen. But 
because I am not God, my will or my desires will only take me so far. I can commit to the healthiest diet, most intensive workout plan known to man, yet still die a premature death. Welcome to College Gathering. Therefore, in this case, because of this, my desired will only takes me so far because I'm not really in ultimate control of my life. I do not have the means, ability, or the power to make what I want a reality. But God is different. God is different. If God wills it because he is God, that I should live to be 100, walk my daughter down the aisle, see my son grow into a man and grow into old age with my wife, it will happen. Why? Because God has both the desire to let me do all of these things and the ability to carry it out. Psalm 139 says that God has the days of my life numbered. It says this, your eyes saw my unformed substance before I even was, before you even were, and in your book were written every single one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none. So this question around God's sovereignty, no matter how daunting or complex or triggering or uncomfortable that this this question may make us feel, it is important for us to answer because this attribute, this attribute of God, the degree to which God acts and moves within the universe, it informs who we understand God to be and it helps us make sense of the hardships and the hard things that we go through in this life. As we will see, There are only two responses to make in light of studying this characteristic of God, and that is faith or it is unbelief. Faith or unbelief. And to that end, I want to pray that God would give all of us tonight, myself included, a heart of receptivity to Jesus and to his gospel. So I'm gonna pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for every single student here. Thank you for the ability to communicate your scripture. God, you are good. You are kind. Regardless of how anyone in this room showed up here, regardless of what brought them in, God, you have each of us here on purpose to get to know you and to, to turn away from the things that are leading us away from you and to be restored to a right relationship with you. So God, I pray that you would do that tonight and your grace would be imminent through this conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so our question again for tonight, what does it mean that God is in control? Okay, so before getting to what I believe scripture says, I sent out a quick little survey to our college leadership team. Shout out leaders, we love you. Where you at, where you at? There we go, yurt, yurt? Okay, there we go. And here's some responses, okay? Here's some responses to, to asking them, what does it mean that God is in control? Here's some quotes. It is okay when negative things happen in my life because it's part of God's plan and I can't change these things myself. Or, I think of all the things that I personally cannot control and I find rest, knowing that those things are in his control and he will handle them when the time is right. Whatever happens, God knows exactly what he's doing and everything will be okay. It means that in whatever situation I am in, good or bad, God's sovereign hand is in my situation even when I can't see. And there were more quotes than this, but I think these are generally reflective of what a portion of our leadership team believes about God and his 
sovereignty. And I tend to agree with these things. For most of us, without thinking too critically about it, God being in control, God being sovereign means to most of us something about him you know, guiding our path, something about God being with us in hardships, something about everything's gonna be okay in the end because God is in control, because God is sovereign, because God has got this. And I think each of these things, each of these quotes are true, but what if God's sovereignty is about more than just everything's gonna be okay? What if it's about more than that? God being in control and God being sovereign are terms that we will use a little bit interchangeably tonight. The Gospel Coalition, fantastic online resource, uh, defines God's sovereignty as this. This will be up on the screen. God's sovereignty is this. The sovereignty of God is the fact that he is the Lord over creation. As sovereign, he exercises his rule. This rule is exercised through God's authority as king. His control over all things, his presence with his covenantal people and throughout his creation. This is true and this is good. But in my own personal experience, really the majority of the time that we talk about God being in control, like the majority of the time when it makes its way into our vocabulary is in light of tragedy. It's in light of hardship. Something terrible happens. Something hard happens. God's with you, bro. He's in control. Everything's gonna be good. God's got you. Again, this is true, but God's sovereignty goes so much deeper than this. What if God being in control isn't about God having this arbitrary power to just kind of do whatever he wants, which is true, I believe that. But what if we began to understand that God's sovereignty over all things is best understood within the grand narrative of scripture and history as we know it? And we're gonna get to this later. Before we look at you know, human history and the grand narrative of scripture, I want to define exactly what it means when we say that God is sovereign, that God is in control. We hit on this at the beginning, but we wanna be crystal clear. And so this, really quick, is a bit of a philosophical exercise in logic. Some of you hate me for saying that. I'm sorry, it's fine. Welcome to College Gathering. But I wanna encourage you guys for a second. And I really mean what I'm about to say. You guys are smart. You are smart. You can handle the deep things of God. Do not believe the lie that you cannot comprehend difficult things. Do not believe the lie that your time in college ministry is only about understanding God's views on friendship, marriage, dating, money, friendship, whatever it is. It's good to learn about those things. But your time in college is about more than learning about that which is easily digestible. It is good to learn about all practical things, but it is equally important to study things like God's sovereignty, his forgiveness, his kindness, his mercy. God has given you his spirit. If you believe in Jesus, God has put his spirit within you to discern his character, which is the entire point of this series. Do not write yourself off in hard conversations and do not be a lazy theologian. All of us at some level, we are theologians because all of us, we have thoughts made up about God. Whether they're written down, whether they're you know fully formed or not, we have thoughts about God, which makes us theologians. So do not be Lazy, do not be lazy, push yourself. God is knowable, seek him and he will reveal himself to you. Continuing on, what does it mean that God is in control? So God, in his infinite wisdom, has the complete ability to be wholly self-determining. And in his infinite power, God has the ability to bring about the things that he desires. Or to simplify it, God's sovereignty is this. Should be up on the screen. God's sovereignty 
God has the infinite wisdom to know what he wants to do and the infinite power to do what he wants. God has the infinite wisdom to know how things should go and the power to do what he wants. We, us, humans, made in his image, as previously mentioned, we share a portion of this. We, in partial wisdom, not full wisdom like God, we have the ability to desire a life that we want to live. And we, in partial power, not full power like God, have the ability to pursue that life. However, we, unlike God, we are not totally free to do whatever we want to do because we do not have the power to do everything that we want to do. In other words, we are bound by our natural limitations. As creatures, we are bound by our natural limitations. Remember, no matter how much I desire to see my kids grow up, tomorrow is not promised for me. For I do not have the ability or the power to guarantee it. Freedom or the ability to do what I want is a term used a lot in this type of discussion. Freedom or total freedom, you know, to do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it, is a simple idea that we, as creatures, we have the ability to make our own decisions, to chart our own path, to ultimately control our own destiny. This camp would say that God has little say over what we do because we are autonomous Creatures, And I would agree with most of that statement, but our own freedom or our own free will, it can only take us so far because we do not have the ability to do whatever we want to do because we are limited in our ability to do the things that we wanna do because we're limited in power. Because we are limited in power, we are limited in freedom. God is not like this. God is not like this. God is the only being in the universe who is totally free to do as he pleases because he is the only being in the universe with the ability and the power to carry out the things that he desires. And we, we scoff all the time at the idea of being restricted, bound, that our autonomy is placed in a box. We get frustrated by that all the time, especially today. But even God is bound but by what? God is bound to the nature of his character. Because God is good, goodness defines his control over the universe. Because God is good, good is what God does. Does that make sense? If Exodus 34, six through seven says this, the Lord passed before him, that's Moses, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, this is God talking about himself, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but for who by no means will clear the guilty. This passage is God describing what God is like. Good, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, faithful, long-standing commitment to his people, forgiving just, near, and consistent. Again, God's actions as sovereign Lord over all, they are bound by the nature of his character. Because God is good, good is what God does. On the flip side of this coin, because God is good, in him there's no evil. Okay, we're gonna rapid fire through some verses. First John 1, 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Genesis 1, 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Psalm 92, declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. 
1 Corinthians 14, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. If you have walked with God for any length of time at all, you know this to be true. God is good. His love is tender. He is near. His spirit, it ministers to us. The God of the Bible, the God that we worship is good and does good. But an important question arises within this conversation. How then do we begin to reconcile the goodness of God and the evil that we see in our world? In other words, if God is truly good, if he is all powerful, if he is truly in control, how, or maybe better asked, why does he allow evil, death, pain, suffering? Why does he allow these things? Some of you have asked yourself this question. Maybe you're asking this question of yourself tonight. I know I have asked myself this question. Many of us in this room, we have experienced such deep pain, loss, and suffering where we are only left asking God one question, and that question is why? Why, God? God, if you have the ability to make things go in a different way, why this path? Why so much pain? Why so much death? Why so many difficulties? My own dad has yet to believe in Jesus because of this question. And maybe that's some of you in here tonight. This problem of evil, as you could call it, it hits home for me because my own father has yet to believe in Jesus because of his inability to trust God with his pain. Even in my own life, I've had to wrestle with this question. When my wife and I were 23, 24 years old, when we were pups, man, we found out we were pregnant, which is crazy. We weren't expecting it, you know, but we were excited. Nonetheless, we were pumped, and we had a healthy pregnancy the whole time. The entire time, everything was fine. Cassidy, uh, my wife, begins to go into labor at about 2 a.m. on Wednesday, July 22nd, 2020. Yeah, 2 a.m., love that. It was great. Love sleeping for about an hour and then getting up. Uh, It was awesome. Uh, We grab our bags. We head to UMC to give birth to our son. Great. When we get there, it's 3 a.m. Cassidy, what a beast. She begins to labor, labors for like 12 hours, which is a long time. It's not as long as you could go, but it's a long time, okay? It is a long time. Cassidy, she's a beast. If you're watching this, we love you. After 12 hours of breathing exercises, of pushing, Gray Benjamin Carroll is born at 3.03 p.m. Yes, almost 12 hours after we got there. And we're pumped. I'm, an, I'm kind of an emotional guy, so I'm a crying mess. My wife, who's not emotional at all, she's crying. That's how you know it was a big deal. We are so happy. We feel so grateful, and everything seemed to have gone so smooth, or so we thought, or so we thought. Gray is born. The umbilical cord gets cut, and we begin to do skin-to-skin bonding, which is basically just a time where you as a new family get to cuddle with your baby. And as we're sitting there in our little hospital room, I begin to notice that the nurses are kind of talking to each other and they're trying to take a little closer look at Gray. They ask to see him for a few minutes. So they pull him off of us because his color is not what it should be. He wasn't getting enough oxygen. So he was beginning to turn this blue purple color. They tell us everything's gonna be okay, but they begin to work on him. They begin to try to clear his airways. They work on him for, I don't even know how long, but Cassie and I are just sitting there just absolutely helpless, watching our little boy get worked on, and we are in shock. And they tell us, after a few minutes, tell us that they aren't able to do what they need to do in the room that we're in, and so that they're they're gonna have to take him to the NICU, which is just a baby ICU. So they take Gray, our son, who we had known for less than 30 minutes, they take him. 
And as they cart our crying, oxygen-deprived, blue and purple little baby away, Cassie and I, we begin to weep, just weep. We're sitting in this hospital room alone without our new baby, and we just break down. Our expectations around this day have been eviscerated in front of us in a matter of seconds. Like, is he gonna be okay? When will we get to see him? Who can tell us what in the world is going on? So we sit there with no information for nearly two hours before Cassidy gets taken to her permanent room. And finally, the doctors come in. They explain that Gray has gassed too much fluid during the birth process and his lungs are filled. And he's gonna have to stay in the NICU for as long as it takes to get the fluid out. Doctors tell us that we can come down and see him. And when we get, we get ready, we head downstairs and we get to him and this is what we see. Little buddy, little buddy, just pure sadness. Even as I look at this picture now, I, it, it's hard. It, it really is hard. Just overwhelmed with grief and worry and anxiety and frustration and just pure sadness that I had not experienced up until that point. Our boy hooked up to an endless supply of wires and cords and tubes keeping him stable. A few days go by. We're staying at the hospital, spending as much time as we can with him in the NICU, which is very difficult, uh, until it becomes Cassidy's day for discharge. We are finally allowed to go home, but Cassidy, or excuse me, but Gray cannot. Gray cannot. The first time we get sent home without our baby boy, with an empty car seat, we just weep. It is so hard and it is so sad. In these moments, what do you do? What do you do? How do we, as believers, followers of Jesus, we say we believe things like God is in control, that God is sovereign, yet experience such hard things? Why, God, do you permit evil and pain and suffering in this world? God, your word says you're good, but I am not so sure. Throughout the first few days of being in the hospital, I was texting everyone because it's, it's, it, it was really scary. Things could have gone very differently. And I was texting my friends, asking people to pray. And as we get into our car on our first drive home by ourselves, empty car seat, my wife and I just weeping, I look at my phone, I get a text message from one of my best friends down. She, at the time, was serving on the Austin Stone worship team. She sends me this really encouraging text. Don't remember what it said, but she also sends this file, not a song, a file of a song that the Austin Stone had been working on titled, Your Thoughts for Us. She said that it hoped it would help. And here are the lyrics to that song. I'm certain, no question, I'm found in your affection. You sing it over and over and over me. You're close, it's clear. My God, you'll always be near. You're with me forever and ever. You'll never leave. In our car, driving home from the hospital with my weeping wife, with an empty car seat, we didn't know anything. We had no idea if Greg was going to be okay. The doctor said so, but it was hard for us to believe it, seeing him hooked up like that. He didn't have any of the answers, and I was mad, and I was frustrated with God, to say the least. But when I heard the lyrics to that song that say, you're close, it's clear, my God, you will always be near, I knew that it was true. My flesh my flesh wanted to fight what God was doing in my heart 
to remind me of his promises. My sin, my lack of faith, my frustration with God and my frustration with the situation and my own insurmountable level of just sadness, it was dragging me into unbelief. But God, in his sovereign grace, in his sovereign kindness and the love that he has spoken over me in my life, he turned my wayward heart from trusting in myself to trusting in the heart of God that says he loves me, says he cares for me, and that he is always with me. I didn't have all of the answers, and I could not, for the life of me, understand why this was happening to us. But I knew that God was asking me to trust his heart, to trust his character. Charles Spurgeon says this, God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. When we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Today, Gray, he was running around before this. He's perfectly healthy, sweet little boy. You would have never known that the first few weeks of his life were an absolute nightmare. Now, we didn't know how it was gonna go. He's okay as far as we are concerned. Everything worked out. But what happens when things don't work out? What happens if things don't work out? Some of you in here, you have lost family. You've lost friends. You're suffering from people sharing their diagnoses with you. You've lost relationships. You've suffered tremendously because of sin and because of the effects of sin in our world, whether it be because of other people's sin, your own mistakes, or just the simple and oppressive reality that we live life in a world that is fractured by sin, death, and brokenness. We all deal with it. When sin entered our world through man's disobedience in Genesis 3, everything changed. All pain, all death, all loss, all heartache, all misplaced longing can be traced back to when our great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God and ushered sin into the universe. Is God pleased with sin? No. Does God delight in the presence of sin in his universe? No. But does God, in his ultimate wisdom, permit a universe to exist that allows sin? Yes. Does God maintain his goodness despite sin existing in our world? Yes. So how then do we square God's supposed goodness in our experience with the hardships of this world? How do we make sense of God's good character in our experience with unanswered prayers? Unless you haven't really suffered here on earth, I don't think that there is an answer that is going to truly satisfy us all. A quote that helps me by the late Tim Keller that Rain shared with me this week, uh, it, it helps me to posture my heart in a trusting posture when my mind begins to struggle and when my mind doesn't want to believe. And it says this, Tim Keller. We can be sure our prayers are answered precisely in the way that we would want them to be answered if we knew everything God knows. Let me read that again. We, we can be sure our prayers are answered precisely in the way we would want them to be answered if we knew everything God knows. No, it's going back to our definition of God's sovereignty that says that God has the infinite wisdom to know how he wants things to go and the infinite power to do what he wants. If God has the power to reign and rule as he desires, why does he allow us to go through hardships? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, and I'm not sure if we 
will ever know. With the incorrect heart posture, I think that you can try your best to answer this question for your entire life and still not land on a satisfactory answer. This is exactly how my conversations with my dad go. Why does everything happen? Why is this? Why is this? I'm like, dad, I don't know. I don't know. But what if, like the Charles Spurgeon quote that he wrote, what if our response to the hardships of this life wasn't to scrutinize the action or inaction of God in whatever situation you like, but to trust his heart or to at least try. So insert, so insert whatever difficult situation that you like and feel all of the emotions that come with whatever the first thing that comes to your mind is. What if it was possible that God hates that situation far more than you ever could? You shed tears, you and I, we shed tears about hard things for a time until something else comes along. But what if God weeps continually over the pain and the suffering and the hardship that happens every day in our world? Trust in God and pain, they can coexist together. When suffering comes, when life beats you up, How can you bring your prayers, your frustrations, your doubts to God, yet still trust in him, no matter how small that faith and trust might feel in the moment? God sees you. God sees it. God sees your faith. God sees you clinging to the promises of scripture, inviting community into your life, despite how hard it feels in the moment. Romans 8, 18 paints a beautiful picture of pain and trust living together. It says this, for I Consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is worldly sorrow and eternal hope existing together. We don't get much more than that. We don't. But what we do get is we get a savior who enters into our sinful broken, death-filled experience to usher in a new kingdom. And this kingdom has come in part, but it is coming in full. Philippians 2, five through eight says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. This is Jesus, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God did that for us. Christ saw our terrible world from heaven and he chose not to run away. He chose to move towards us, to redeem us, to save us. Why? Because he loves us, because he loves you, because we could never do what needed to be done to restore a right relationship with God. Earlier, we referenced this idea that God being sovereign makes a lot more sense when we understand it in light of the grand narrative of Scripture. So what do we mean by this? Human history has a pattern. There's a biblical uh, redemption arc, a little picture up there that we're going to throw up. Yep. This is how the Bible paints human history and our future as well. You got creation, you got fall, you got redemption, and you got restoration. So you got creation, Genesis. God made everything good. God and man dwelled, lived together in perfect love, unity, and harmony. Then you got the fall. Man disobeys God, rebels against God's reign and rule, and sin enters the world and ruins everything. Redemption, this is where we're at. 
God sees our sin, our rebellion, and he sends his son Jesus into this world to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death that we deserve because of our sin. And he he, he resurrects from the grave three days later, defeating sin and death for all who would believe. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That is all of us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are here through Jesus. If you pull that picture back up, we are in the redemption phase where God is ministering to us and through us. Restoration, one day, Christ will come back and he will make all things new, ushering in the new heavens and the new earth. This kingdom that we experience in part of Jesus reigning and ruling and having power, it will be realized one day. This is coming. Revelation 21, three through six. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. It's not far away. God does not desire to live far from us. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with us. It's with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God, as it was in the garden. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things. The former world has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. All things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. God says that this is where history is moving to. We're not there yet, but this is where it's going. Total restoration, a renewed relationship with our creator, new heavens, new earth, no more tears, no more death, no more pain, no more suffering. This is coming. This is coming. It is not here yet though. We are still in this redemption phase of history where God has sent Christ He's given his people his spirit and we are tasked with the mission to push back darkness until Christ returns, bringing that kingdom in, in full. God, he sometimes allows darkness to happen, but he hates it every single time. But again, when we cannot trace his hand, we must return to his heart and we must return to Revelation 21 that says the death and pain and the hard things that we experience, they do not have the final say. We will not cry tears forever. We will not. God is moving all of human history in his sovereignty and in his goodness to what we just read about in Revelation, a kingdom of love, of hope, of peace, of acceptance. Many of you in here tonight, you have suffered tremendously. You've gone through things that no one should ever have to go through. I know that is true because I know a lot of you. Like I stated at the beginning of our time, we have two responses that we could make when faced with the sovereignty of God and the difficulty of our life. Faith, trust, returning to the heart of God, 
or unbelief, or unbelief. Some of you struggle to trust God's heart simply because you do not know it. Some of you say that you love Jesus and that God has captured your heart, but just like the parable of the four soils, when life's hardships come around, you wither and you turn your back on God. Unbelief takes root in your heart and you reject God's rule and you distrust his sovereignty. Others of you, like me, struggle to trust God's heart because we forget. We forget, like the parable of the four soils, We are like the seed that gets swallowed up with the cares of this life, with the distractions of our day. And when we experience pain, suffering, and hardships, we are quick to dismiss it as if God doesn't care about us. When in reality, we, we haven't taken the time to cultivate our relationship with him. We struggle to trust God because we struggle to know God daily and intimately. I mean, I feel like this is where I'm at personally right now. I feel like I know a lot about God but I'm learning to try to seek him to get to know him more. Learning, knowing about God is very different from knowing God. Because of sin, followers of Jesus, we are prone to forget all that God has done for us. We spend years growing in our knowledge of him. We spend years growing in our love for him and our nearness with him, yet in time of pain and trouble, we forget. Because of sin, we, like Peter, the night of Jesus' death, We act like we never knew him. We act like we never knew him. So wherever you are tonight with Jesus, what could it look like for you to respond in faith? In faith. Your sin, the enemy, the things that are distracting us, even in this moment, our own experiences in life, all of them are dragging you, are dragging us away from faith and into distrust, disbelief, and uncertainty. God Feeling far away doesn't mean that he is. God feeling far away does not mean that he is. If you are a follower of Jesus and you feel beat up by life, you feel like God is so far away, this is the promise that we need to cling to. God is near. Philippians 4, it's gonna be up on the screen. It says that the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. And because the Lord is near, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. What would it look like for you to trust that God is good, that God is in control, and that his heart is good even when we don't understand and even when we cannot trace his Hand. Maybe you're in here and you have been dealing with hardships alone and you need to bring your burdens to your community, to your friends and bring them into the light. Maybe you're realizing tonight your need for community. Join a gospel community. Join a GC and let God transform your life by having your burdens be carried by the love of Jesus through the people in your GC. And as we wrap up, this is the last thing I'm gonna say. For me, Cody, for me, in one of, if not the worst weeks of my life, sitting in that hospital room, weeping with my wife, getting into our car with an empty car seat, full of sadness, full of distrust, full of very shaky faith, God broke through 
my lack of faith, my frustration, my pain, and he lifted up my eyes to remember his heart. God, in his sovereign rule over all things, including my own sinful heart, he called me back to himself in love. He did what I could not do. He opened my eyes to help me respond in faith and to trust his promises. And I'm gonna pray that God does that with all of us tonight as we sing. God, we love you. Lord, we need you, God. We, you've given us your word. You've shown us what you're like. God, you are sovereign. God, you are in control. God, you call dead hearts to respond in faith. God, scripture paints it very clear. We are not swimming in an ocean hoping that Jesus throws us a rope. We are dead at the bottom of the ocean waiting for someone to breathe life into our bones. In the same way, God, for students who feel far from you, would you breathe life into their bones? Would you help students tonight respond in faith to talk to someone that they came with, to share the burdens, to share their doubts, frustrations? God, would you call someone tonight into a deeper relationship, love, trust in you? God, we love you. God, we need you. Thank you for your grace that makes us new. God, we are nothing without you. God, help us to love you and worship you and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.